Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I was recently asked what prayer is. This is what I said. We are creatures. We're not self-made beings, but the handiwork of a loving creator. Many of the troubles that come upon us are simply because we are creatures. In other words, mortal, fallible, limited, and fragile. But much of the joy of believing lies in a more positive understanding of being a creature, being wanted, crafted, loved, cherished. And prayer is that process through which we recognize our loving creator. And when we learn to grow towards the positive experience of being a creature. The great joy of my time here at St. Paul's has been watching people, watching you, watching myself, pass from the negative to the positive experience of being a creature, and thus discovering our true humanity. In other words, becoming fully alive as creatures of God. That's what our worship is about. That's what our programs are about. That's what our music is about. That's what our 300 announcements are about. <laughs> Discovering our true humanity and becoming perhaps for the first time fully alive. This is what our gospel is about, what it means to become fully alive. There is, I, I think you would admit, something within us that pulls for Martha. She's only doing the dishes. The unglamorous, unsexy, underappreciated, prosaic work of washing the dishes. She's doing what is expected of her. She's the host, after all, and Jesus is the guest. Martha is being a well-behaved, respectable, ex expectation-honoring woman of the first century. And Jesus, in a way, addresses his host in an unmannerly, unappreciative way. He is transgressing, overstepping the bounds of relationship between host and guest. But to have spent any time in Luke's gospel is to come to have expect this from Jesus. He's frequently overstepping the lines of respectability to create deeper bonds of love. Even still, the issue isn't just that Jesus seems unappreciative of Martha's service. He adds insult to injury when he tells her that Mary's got it right. You can just feel the hot, sisterly glare Martha gave Mary at this point. Ugh, you want me to be like her? I'm working my butt off in here. She probably doesn't even know where the dish rags are kept. What is it that Mary understands, huh? We readers know what Mary understands. No, she isn't doing the dishes. No, she isn't being a great host. She has perceived something deeper. While Jesus may be their guest on this one occasion, he is the host, they the guests in his kingdom. 
For what it's worth, we should also notice that Jesus doesn't reproach Martha for doing the dishes. He reproaches her for societal conformity over kingdom conformity. And besides, for all of her ministry, she's torn. She's torn in her values. What is most important to her is unclear. Maybe it's the dishes. Maybe it's having that status symbol of being perceived as busy or conforming to a gender stereotype or being perceived as a servant. In any event, she is, as her host in the kingdom of God says, distracted. It's a word that hits close to home for us late moderns, isn't it? We don't usually think of ourselves as distracted. We like to call it multitasking, but we know it's not. On average, we check our phones every 10 minutes, our emails 20 times a day. I've had three notifications pop up on my iPad since I've started preaching. We are, in T.S. Eliot's phrase, distracted from distraction by distraction. This story makes us a little uncomfortable, but it's mainly because so many of us can identify with Martha. We can almost imagine Jesus asking us, John, Dave, Mary, Ken, why, beloved, are you distracted by so much? Well, it's easy enough to come up with reasons. We're distracted by many things because we as human beings are torn in our values. Part of us wants to feel loved, and another part just wants to feel free. Part of, part of us wants to appear a little smarter than we are, but another part craves to be genuine and accepted in our genius, yes, but also in our dullness. Part of us wants to serve God, and then part of us, if we are honest, doesn't. I, for one, would love to be a scraggly bearded mystic whose wisdom was sought around the globe. But I really don't want to miss anything on TV. <laughs> our wants, our desires, are pluriform and fragmented, like the broken pieces of a kaleidoscope or even a stained glass window. We are told that our lives are shot through with light, able to carry meaning for others, and yet it's not hard to stop and just feel that your soul is distracted disarrayed society of competing desires. And it's not because we and Martha are immoral that we are distracted. We're human. Our loves are many and layered and complex. I said that prayer is that experience of going from feeling yourself as fragile and anxious and mortal to crafted, cared for, precious, and loved. This is the one thing necessary, the only thing in my books that matters in the end, the journey of bringing torn, distracted desires into the presence of another and feeling our hearts expanded and enlivened, our awkward humanity made capable of carrying divine grace. I came to St. Paul's four years ago in my final year at Pittsburgh Seminary. It feels at once like yesterday and eons ago. What's challenging about working in a church right after seminary 
is that you think you've got it all figured out. After all, you have been recently awarded a degree called a Master of Divinity. A Master of Divinity? Sure, but you've not mastered humility. And humility is Mary's gift. She realizes what is most important and most sacred and everything else is relative in its light. This is the hard-learned lesson of ministry, perhaps even the lesson of growing in our faith altogether. We are not the hosts of the party. It's not our planning, our aptitude, our busyness, our multitasking that gives us worth and significance. We are guests, always invited, always called, always welcomed out of distraction into the presence of the one whose love never grows distracted from us. And Jesus, this one who is always redefining community, is experienced in and through others, others whose distracted lives are being slowly healed by love. To find the one thing necessary, to kneel with Mary is to kneel with a woman who is an outsider in the first century world, a less than righteous one. We know this, to draw near to Jesus is always finding ourselves kneeling next to the unrighteous, finding that our siblings in the faith are, the, are those outside the bounds of societal conformity. To sit at Jesus' feet is to find yourself in the unlikely company called the family of God. In St. Paul's, it's you who have been this presence for me over the years. Somewhere along the way, a proud master of divinity learned to kneel, learned to quit his dishes of self-importance, and learned how to unmaster. You've let me listen to your stories and celebrate your joys and accompany you on your journey into deeper life in God. In the same way Mary soaked up Jesus' presence, I feel that I've gained so much by being among you, your expression of the body of Christ in the South Hills of Pittsburgh. From the holy howl of your children during worship, <laughs> to the fish fries, the pig roasts, the meat loaves, from the leadership of our rector, who has a creativity of vision that is unmatched, to the inexhaustible vigilance of the donut lady. <laughs> I've learned about joy from the St. Paul's Episcopal Nursery School and commitment and dedication from the choir. And just the overall power of showing up by you deciding to make this community a priority. I leave here confident of this church's future, confident of your love for all people, no exceptions. Because it's through your love that I've learned a little bit more of what, what our faith is all about. Going from feeling oneself as fragile, mortal, and anxious. That is, thinking that I have to be the host to the world's problems and triumphs, to being wanted, cared for, and loved, discovering that you are a summoned guest in the kingdom of grace. This, I take it, is the one thing Mary discovered, and it's what I have discovered being in your midst.
And considering this one thing, there's only one thing to say. I leave you with the two words that my mother made sure I said after every meal was set before me, after every gesture of kindness was extended, for which I'd get grounded if I neglected. The two words that are the meaning of Eucharist and convey the openness to the fullness of life. The two words that are some of the first words we ever learned to say and are probably our best words when it comes time to go. Whether spoken to God, to another human being, to life itself, or in my case, spoken to you. The two words are, thank you, thank you.